U studiju imamo Nigela Heilara iz Australije. So, you finished visual study at Royal College of Art in London and later you made a PhD in Technical University, but actually what you're doing is a sound art. Can you tell us more about this development line, how all this happened? Okay, yes. Um, well, first I actually studied uh, sculpture honours degree in Liverpool, so I came from a kind of sculpture background. And then when I went to the Royal College in London, which was between 1976 and 1979, I studied in, it was an experimental sculpture studio called Environmental Media, which was mainly early electronics, video, audio and installation. Um, so I have studied moving towards the media area from, from the kind of mid-70s on. So uh, you are a sound artist and I'm curious how did you start to work as a sound. And by the way, you have time in London, you've been there mid-70s, which was an uh, area of punk. Have you been infected by punk? That is music, not the sound. <laughs> yeah, infected is the right word. Um, when I was in Liverpool, I was a singer in a band, a band which actually became quite famous, but I, I left to become an artist. And then when I was at the Royal College, I actually ran all the music gigs. And in fact, most of it was a combination of punk and reggae. We became very famous for hosting punk and reggae. Um, but then um, when I was studying, my, my thesis at the Royal College was to look at installations with sculpture and architecture as well as audio and video and very soon I became video phobic I got rid of the video and that left me with sculpture architecture and audio okay you have other side as well of the technical uh, nature uh, you made your PhD on Technical University. Also, you develop some sound instruments. Can you explain a little bit more about this uh, part of your curricula? Yeah, well, that um, I did my doctorate many years later. I was working for the University of Sydney. I was the head of uh, the sculpture, performance and installation studio. And uh, I did a, a PhD over six years at University of Technology in Sydney in sonic objects, sonic architecture. And f following that, um, I actually I quit my job at uh, Sydney University and worked as an artist with a high-tech audio company developing interactive um, sound maps, which were based on GPS positioning. So both for mobile devices and for um, big um, multi-speaker installations. The company I, I, I started a creative relationship with um, and I think they took me on as a kind of crazy side project and within six months they'd asked me to become a core member of their uh, concept development team so my project went from being peripheral to quite central and um, we ended up writing three international patents which uh, eventually were bought by Dolby so they're um, 
yeah, fairly significant technological development. Tijekom tvog više desetljetnog rada već, ostvario si... During the, over the couple of decades, you made an impressive list of uh, works, which uh, only selection, that is long, quite a long selection, it's at your website, on the objects.com. And uh, because of the... We are now speaking in Korčula, as part of Mediterranean Sea, we chose six projects. The first one connected with Marco Polo because of his mysterious connection with Korčula. And another five uh, that are dealing with uh, ship building and sea. We can uh, start with the first project connected with Marco Polo, uh, Weeping Willow, uh, that you create in China, Ihanzu province, China. And can you tell us a few words? Uh, yeah, Marco yeah. Well, I've always been interested in the, the relationship between the East and the West in terms of the exchange of culture and, um, and technology, if you like, um, but also in the exchange of myths and the kind of notion of Orientalism. And... Um, of course, Marco Polo is a, a very early um, symbol of this exchange between the East and West, and often quoted as really being the first person. Uh, he spent a lot of time in a city in southern China called, uh, in those days, Kinsei, which is now the city of Hangzhou, which in the center has a very famous and very beautiful lake called the West Lake. A lot of poetry is written about it, a lot of uh, uh, calligraphy is done about it. It was a center for a poet society. Um, in the early 18th century, the English um, were developing the ceramics industry with people like Wedgwood. And um, an English guy traveled to China, probably to steal ideas and steal techniques. And he made an image of the West Lake which is known as the willow pattern. It's a very famous blue ware. It looks like Ming ware. Um, it looks Chinese, but in fact, it's very, very English. And the interesting thing is that in the Korchula City Museum, you have some really nice samples of it. There are lots of willow pattern plates in the museum here. Um, so I went to Hangzhou, and with my assistant, I took um, a Wedgwood willow pattern plate and we walked around for three or four weeks simply talking to people, showing them the plate and saying what is this, where does it come from, tell us about this and it was an interesting mix of reactions most people said it looks like Chinese but it's fake, it's not really our culture um, and then subsequently I made an exhibition with 12 of these plates, uh, each turned into a speaker, and I made a kind of audio portrait of that experience, of that kind of um, The plates were partly sandblasted, partly erased, so it was a kind of idea of fragments, of fragments of history and fragments of sound. Um, so it was a kind of, a, yeah, a research project into cultural um, hybridization. Um, so the, these sounds that we're looking hearing in the background are coming from this um, 12 channel installation. Uh, how the 
the stereo file was created, that we're now listening at the radio, was created after the installation. And of course, the next couple of things into the next question. Yeah, I mean, normally for me, it's a bit of a problem because I'm working with multi-channel sound or interactive sound or sound which is spatially arranged, um, like sculpture. And so to present this in any other medium, on the web, for example, or on the radio or on the CD, you have to mix that sound down to simply a two-channel stereo um, version. And so um, it's, in a sense, the best you can do to represent the work. Um, it's documentation rather than the work itself, but it gives you some idea of, of some of the contents, a kind of assembly of, of fragments of, uh, of the original, but it's, well, it's quite different from the original experience. Slušamo Novirad. So now we are listening to second track, Craywox that made in the, during your residency in Asia and that runs for a couple of months in the Indian Ocean uh, that dealing with biopolitics of food where you uh, use different kind of sound uh, made during your residency uh, like a water quality data or like a shrimp sound and the talks of the fishermen. Can you talk us a little bit more about uh, project? Yeah, in um, the Craybox project I was um, living on a chain of islands, there were about 120 islands um, in the Indian Ocean, about a hundred kilometers from the west coast of uh, Australia, and I was really making a, a, again a kind of audio portrait of both the social and the environmental and the economic activities on the islands, the, the fishery is a contested zone, if you like, and um, principally because um, the fishermen who are catching these uh, very valuable uh, crayfish, lobsters, none of these are sold really in Australia, they all go directly to China, so it's a totally economic activity, it's not really part of food security. and. Um, I also travelled from the islands to um, a couple of major Asian ports to Hong Kong and to Taiwan, um, to Kaohsiung, um, to follow the catch and I went to visit importers, um, people who ran restaurants, people who had eaten these at weddings, I talked to cooks, fishermen, uh, you know, vendors and then um, some months later um, the work came back to um, Fremantle in Western Australia in a big biennale and I built uh, a version of a, a crayfishing boat, about an eight meter long boat made of wood um, which I rigged with um, um, resonators and the boat became a giant sound sculpture so again another multi-channel um, audio work. So uh, now we are listening to uh, quite different sounds. It's one of a uh, thousand uh, fi sound files from Ecolocated project, from uh, Marine project and uh, residency you took over a couple of months at the boat uh, and uh, creating an interactive sound map. 
Can you tell us uh, a little bit more about the project and about the idea of sound mapping? Okay, well, um, we took a 12 and a half meter catamaran, partnered with uh, Tapio Makela, a Finnish uh, media artist and producer, and we equipped it as a solar-powered digital audio studio, a kind of dangerous thing to do when you're surrounded by ocean. <laughs> um, and we sailed from Germany around Scotland to Belfast in Ireland for um, a big Isaiah exhibition and festival. And then we went back to the UK and ended up at the Cape North in uh, Liverpool. Basically, I um, took with me one of my programmers from the Audio Nomad project in Sydney, which is interactive sound mapping. And um, then when we arrived in Belfast, we'd been making content all the way, recording and um, taking videos and things. Um, my scientific co-director of the Audio Nomad project came out and we worked for several weeks um, building a big 12-channel uh, interactive sound map of Belfast as well as uh, an interactive video blog or audio video blog of the entire trip. So um, the work only exists um, in the installation, it's interactive and um, people can drive through uh, a virtual map of, of, of Belfast and zoom in and zoom out and it has literally thousands of sound files. Um, so what we hear will just be a few little fragmentary samples that give people the idea of the content. Uh, how did you uh, present interactive sound map in the gallery environment? Um, we have a, a very large um, flat screen monitor, which is like a table, and a, a special, I guess you'd call it a joystick controller. Um, that you can drive, literally drive a, a boat around the map. Um, you can change direction, and as I say, you can zoom in to detailed levels. Um, this time, we also programmed three video screens that were triggered by the um, the audio proximity triggers, and they would throw up location um, tagged images but also some effects like screens of bubbles or different types of effects, they were linked to water quality. So when water quality changed, the uh, texture of the screen changed. And um, yeah, so it's a one person at a time. Um, one person can drive at a time, but as you say, for example, turn the boat to the left or the right, the sound in the big circular speaker rig turns with you so you have this real sense of direction and distance so you can, you can navigate towards or away from the sound for example. Here are some sound fragments and um, some are, are uh, direct hydrophone recordings underwater and you, you hear kind of bubbles and you'll hear, if you listen carefully, a, a fish grunting underwater. Um, Another fragment is from a bar in Scotland where we docked for one night 
and and another file is um, from my um, daily log, um, tells telling of how seasick I was in the North Sea. Mock's era is generative piece of art where uh, data uh, from uh, about water quality from Baltic uh, drives uh, sound files made during a couple of months sailing around the Baltic. The work were presented in Turku and Finland, where was European cultural capital. Can you tell us more about this work? Again, Vox Aura, Aura is the name of the river that runs through Turku, um, is a work that looks at our relationship to the environment and especially to the ocean. And um, generally, when we look out of our window at the ocean, especially on a nice day, the ocean looks beautiful and um, it masks the idea that we use it as a, a rubbish dump, uh, we use we, we use its resources, we use it for transport. So the ocean actually looks very different from the way it actually is. The Baltic is the most polluted ocean in the world. Um, in fact, it could be seen to be dying. So I wanted to make a project that made people focus on, uh, on uh, the unseen parts of um, the ocean ecology. So I spent um, about three months in Turku in Finland gathering a very, very big sound library of uh, cultural and environmental sounds. And every day I also receive data from two ships that go across the Baltic uh, of water quality information. The work consisted 
of two boats, lifeboats from a cruise ship that were moored either side of a very busy um, walking bridge and they had masts with speaker systems and the, um, the work would take a file, a sound file at random and a data file at random and mix them together and then play back the original file and then the a kind of data music of the original file turned uh, or changed by the data and that kind of gave people the idea that there was some strange morphing process going on and really I think helped people think about some of these issues in a, in a kind of poetic way, in an indirect way. subject of using cultural constructs made by humans and environmental data made by machines that actually measure something without human interpretation seems rather interesting as a working process. Does, is this a working method that you employ in all your works? Um, well, not in all of the works, um, because I'm also extremely interested in, in narrative and, um, uh, and, and, and authorial control, I suppose. But in these sort of generative works, it's, um, it's interesting that the, the kind of the control of the artist has is, is in assembling A, the content, the range of content, and then uh, designing the system. But uh, it's I find it very interesting in the sense that once that, that system's set up you have to stand back and the work actually generates itself, rather like these interactive maps, the, um, the audience or the participant actually composes from the material. So um, there's a nice relationship between um, myself as a, as a kind of author, if you like, who steps one or two steps backwards and then the, uh, the auditor or the, the, the viewer steps forward and, and then controls the final outcome in the case of the interactive maps or in the case of say, something like Vox Aura, the system itself is picking. So the work never has a final form because uh, the Vox Aura ran for several months um, and um, I was able to add material to the data library and the sound library over that period, so uh, the work in a sense is formless, it never has a final form, it's always evolving, which is, you know, from an artist's perspective, really <laughs> quite uh, intriguing.
projektu pod nazivom Medim Lijeko izgradio si svoj brod koji doduče bio smješten u jednom... Milk and Honey is a project where you build your own boat but the boat was not in the sea but in the room that is not a gallery room but it's an culturally protected farm in Australia that was a 1918-19th century farmer's house. And the project is about the different cultural differences of Europeans settled in Australia and the meeting of two cultures. Can you tell us about the Milk and Honey project? The work was installed um, at the old homestead, old stone farmhouse, in a place called the Bundanon Trust, which is just about two, two and a half hours south of Sydney. It's on a big uh, piece of land, about a thousand hectare, and uh, sits on a very big river, the Shoalhaven. It has about 15 kilometers of riverfront. Um, it was both a very, very early European farm, so European, for, uh, European settlers coming to uh, an unknown land and in some ways an unknowable land um, but it was also much later on the the home and studio of, of a painter called Arthur Boyd who was probably one of the first Australian painters to be recognized um, in Europe uh, in particular in London and some of his subject matter was, was biblical, um, tales from the Old Testament, people like Nebuchadnezzar, Moses, people like that, um, especially Nebuchadnezzar in the wilderness, which is a kind of, I think, a, a metaphor for European settlers in Australia. And um, so I looked at both um, the more contemporary um, narratives from his paintings, but in particular the diaries from the farmers and built, um, built on the idea that the early farmers used the river all the time. So I built two boats and then took up the biblical phrase of milk and honey and installed in one boat a series of, of uh, milk containers, dairy, dairy churns, and in the second one a series of, of um, beehives. And these were again activated by sound resonators. So again, a multi-channel work um, very complex, um, some music, some natural environmental sounds, and some some text to build a, a picture. Is it a small thing that has brought us up out of the land of fruits with milk and honey? Is it a small thing that thou hast brought us up except thou makest thyself a prince over us? Ispod leda je nastavak projekta Bioblogging koji se razvija u suradnji sa znanstvenicima sa instituta za morsku i antarktičku... Under the ice cap is follow-up of biologic project that you made in a collaboration with scientists from Institute for Marine and Antarctic Studies from Hobart, Tasmania, where you combine two kinds of data. The one is from uh, environmental data from the water, like uh, quantity of salt in the water, temperature and so on, uh, from one hand and another, there are recordings of the seals. 
the both sounds, uh, kinds of sounds you translated into something else. Uh, can you explain the trans translation project process and uh, how this developed? I was invited to Hobart maybe three, uh, three or four years ago to make one of my interactive maps for an international uh, congress on biologging. Biologging is basically uh, data collected by animals from small scientific devices. And so that was the first one where I, I made a map with sounds from species and the data from species mixed on an interactive map. So you could ex explore some of um, uh, Antarctica and, and listen to these sounds combined. The second phase of the project was um, more of a data sonification project where I work with scientists who are collecting data from these big seals, southern elephant seals. They're about four meters long, weigh about four tons, and they dive two kilometers under the Antarctic ice shelf, and they collect incredibly valuable data that no, they can't use any other means to get it. So they're mapping the underwater environment in Antarctica. So we started making very complex um, maps generated entirely from the data, looking at the tracks of the seals, but then taking that same data and making graphical musical scores. And um, the whole project was really about recognizing patterns inside the data. And so my suggestion was that the best pattern recognition devices around that could work in real time and communicate instantaneously were in fact musicians. So we, we um, started making a series of concerts where these data streams were literally performed in front of audiences and um, as a kind of data interpretation, musical data interpretation, to bring out new patterns that couldn't be seen otherwise. Uh, it seems that uh, humans are sometimes uh, more capable of so-called like fast processing, uh, especially musicians, impro musicians have such a capacities to for like super quick reaction on, on different fields like joining visual and sound, creating an output of another kind. Um, how do you find uh, is that uh, are there some super fast processors can compete with this capacity of musicians? And is it the thing to compare at all? Well, I, I haven't tried. I haven't tried that. In fact, I've gone the opposite direction, and uh, I've been taking some of that same data and hand transcribing it into musical notes or hand punching it into uh, little music box punch cards to explore the um, a way of making music which is in a sense non-musical it doesn't have the same um, emotional characteristics as, as human music um, the, the only problem working with um, improv musicians on, on this stuff is the kind of degree of arbitrariness and I think that's with my scientific friends that's always a problem they want um, a more direct translation that can be repeated 
and um, proven, as it were, like a scientific proof. But of course, the musicians are always interested to change things slightly. So it's um, an interesting cultural difference between um, the creative side and the kind of scientific side. Um, but so far, I've, the, the scientists get very enthusiastic because even if the concerts don't prove anything in particular, it helps them think about the data or think about approaching the data in a different way. So it kind of opens up their, their, their field. Mi čuli smo šest primjera iz umjetničkih projekata od Nigela Heigera i koji... We heard the experts from six sound artworks by Nigel Heiger and during September and August he will present another work in in the gallery Grey Area in Korshla in Croatia. In all this work, uh, Nigel, you uh, combined uh, art and science in a specific uh, way, taking a uh, look, uh, approaching things from the artistic point of view, but also using hard uh, statistic data. Uh, uh, it's interesting the merging of art and science uh, through the very specific field of art disciplines as a sound art and uh, it's a specialization in particular case for art practice. So Nigel, it's great to have you here in Korčula and uh, I hope you enjoying your residency and the work on the new version of your uh, artwork that will be presented in grey area in Croatia and it's actually the the way the world premiere of the number version free of your work. Um, thank you, great to have you here. Well thank you very much and it's um, I'm enjoying myself immensely and it's good to have an opportunity to uh, develop a work um, and make it try and make it a little specific to the site and uh, Learn, learn about a new culture as well. It's um, it's one of the uh, one of the advantages of, of I think being an artist who, who can travel a little bit is, is to really learn about other cultures and make exchange. And uh, so thank you very much for inviting me. We truly saw six primera umetnički 